come forward and expand the word to me. Um, I, let me say I really appreciate and enjoy being able to welcome Bob to come and preach to us. He was the one who came and welcomed my wife and I to this church when we first arrived. So this is a return. Welcome. So the readings are excerpts from Numbers chapter 2. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, People of Israel, each by his own standard, with the banner of their father's house, they shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. Those to camp at the east side towards the sunrise shall be of the standard of the camp of Judah. Next to him shall be the tribe of Issachar, then the tribe of Zebulon. On the south side shall be the standard of the camp of Reuben. Next to him shall be the tribe of Simeon, and then the tribe of Gad. Then the tent of meeting shall be set out with the camp of the Levites in the midst of the camp. As they camp, so shall they set out, each in position, standard by standard, shall be the standard of the camp of Ephraim. And next to him shall be the tribe of Manasseh, and then the tribe of Benjamin, and on the north side, shall be the standard of the camp of Dan. And those to camp next to him shall be the tribe of Asher, and then the tribe of Nephali, according to the Lord, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So they camped by their standards, and so they set out, each one in his clan, according to his father's house. Thank you, Megan. Good morning, folks, and welcome to church. It's lovely, as always, to be back here with you. When I spoke here last time, a little while ago, I dipped my toe into the book of Numbers, and we'll dip it a bit more deeply this morning. Uh, Reverend Scott Krieg has been preaching on Numbers down at the Church of Murrayfield, where I've already preached these sermons, and uh, by God's grace, we, we chose different texts, so that was, uh, that was wonderful. Scott, choosing different texts to mine? <laughs> That's great. So, I've called this Camping Out with God in Our Midst, the series I've sort of called Numbers in, in the Wilderness. The, the Hebrew title for this book is In the Wilderness. I think it's a great title because it catalogues those 40 years that Israel spent in the wilderness after leaving Egypt. Let's pray and we'll come back and unpack this rather unusual reading that Megan has brought for, for us. Thank you. Dear Father, we thank you for your scriptures and we, we know there are great truths to be teased out of here and we pray, Lord, for your grace upon us as we look into your word today, give us understanding, touch our hearts, Lord God, move us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Several decades ago, in fact, I think it was uh, almost exactly six decades ago, 
the Budrum Boy Scout troop in a paddock about a mile from here in that direction were setting up their tents for a weekend camp. Uh, I was one of those Boy Scouts. We had these great big heavy military canvas style tents and um, our mob, whatever they call them in those days, we, we, we grabbed the best spot. We were in first. This spot was terrific. It was perfectly flat. The ground was soft. The grass was lush and green. And we had our tent up in no time. We started cutting blady grass and stuffing it into the chaff bags to make, make beds for ourselves. And it was just the greatest. Campfire at night, Friday night. We sat around singing those rousing Boy Scout songs. And, you know, my girls are corker and all those things. Then we... we um, told stories, went to bed, well, great breakfast, mucked around in the creek all morning, had lunch, then we stoked up the fire again, and we brought out this huge leg of lamb. This was dinner, and we had this leg of lamb on to roast. It was just the greatest camp until about three o'clock. This huge black cloud rolled up, and there was thunder and lightning, and and the heavens opened up, and it literally poured. And it seemed within seconds... This great wall of water was rushing through our tent, took away our beds, our clothes, worst of all, took away the leg of lamb. And it was just ruined. Now, we had put our tent in the bottom of a swamp, a dry swamp, which we just, you know, the motto of the Boy Scouts is to, we were not prepared. I just say that we... We didn't have a, a, a scout leader in those days, and so it was like learning by trial and error. We made lots and lots of errors. That was our biggest. We had to go back to the scout hut and sleep on a hard floor that night. Rule of thumb in, when it comes to wilderness camping, place your tent in a safe place. But you know, even more important is that you must place your life in a, a safe place. It can happen only when you have God at the center of your life. God is God. God is creator and sustainer of the universe. And for your life to work as well as possible, he must be at the center. Everything that you do and are must revolve around your relationship with him. Now, there are two powers competing for lordship over your life. God and you. Now, God's way is the best way. You must align yourself with God's will, and God's will for you is to love God, worship God, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, you, like me, are a product of a fallen world. And that means that you can't entirely trust yourself always to do what is right for you. But you can trust God always to do what is right for you. Greg Sheridan, the, the journalist from the, the Australian, recently produced a book called Christians, an interesting read. He said that Jesus came to expose the fraudulent glamour of evil and to show us the true nature of goodness. He came to show us what a perfect human life looks like. And he does. Furthermore, C.S. Lewis said the central Belief is that Christ's death has put us right with God and given us a fresh start. That is life with God at the center. So our first point is that God at the center of Israel's life. Now, the setting here is number, in Numbers 2 is it's, it's about 1500 BC. And Israel has just been saved out of, out of slavery in Egypt. 
think about it, in, in the great scheme of things, that's kind of a picture of our personal salvation. Slavery, freedom, we're, we're enslaved to sin, God frees us. Israel has just witnessed a kind of a gospel. Now, a gospel is something that God does for us. It is good news, something God does for his people. And for those people back in those days, the nation of Israel, God raised them up out of all the peoples of the earth. He chose them. He appointed them to become his treasured possession, his nation. And they were the ones through whom he will fulfill all his covenant promises he made to Abraham, the the father of Israel, including the promise that one day through Israel, God's bidding to, to to be God's redeemer. Now, the problem was back in those times that from the time of uh, Jacob, uh, Abraham's grandson, 400 years earlier, Israel had been trapped in the land of Egypt. Started out pretty good back in Joseph's day, but eventually they became slaves of the Egyptians and they became most terribly mistreated. But God now has rescued them. He saved them. He's pointed them towards their own land, the land of Canaan, the promised land. See, these Israelites have seen God's salvation. It's a picture, an illustration of the greater gospel that is to come through Jesus, God saving us from slavery to sin. Away. He breaks the grip of Pharaoh over these people via ten terrible plagues. Now, the last plague, the worst plague of all, is the death of all the firstborn of all households in Egypt. But God spares the Israelites by, to die in place of their firstborn. He accepts the death of a lamb instead. And so Pharaoh eventually relents and lets Israel go. He has been caught up in a life and death struggle with God. Who is the greater Pharaoh or the God creator of the universe? Pharaoh has lost. And so God parts the sea for Israel and they escape into the desert. Truly they are now God's people. He gives them commandments to show how they shall live as God's people to ensure God's, God's uh, presence in their midst. And these commandments, of course, still resonate with us today. But he also gives them other instructions, um, Israel-specific instructions like how to set up your tents as you journey on your way to the promised land. Now, those instructions are not specific to us. But they do contain very, very important principles for us. For example, we we don't live in tents, do we? And this has nothing to do with how you position your house or anything else. So, So what are the instructions about setting up camp to do with us? Well, it's this. And I come to what really is the big idea of our sermon this morning. See, just like Israel on its journey to the promised land was to travel with God at the center. So in our journey through life, uh, we must live with God at the very center of our being. Life with God at the center is a life truly well lived. Now Israel is camped in the, uh, in the Sinai desert. I think we've got a map there I think to show us um, the desert. There we go. So they're camped down the bottom of that uh, peninsula there in the desert. Um, Two years have passed since they left Egypt. 
There are, there are 12 tribes of Israel because they are the priests and the temple helpers. They are devoted to God's service. The tribe of Joseph is divided in two, Ephraim and Manasseh, the two sons of Joseph, to make up the numbers to 12. Now, God instructs them to camp and to travel with, as Megan read, three tribes on the east, three on the west, three on the north, and three on the south. Got a picture, I think, there of the, uh, yeah, there we go, the arrangements of the, of the camp. Three tribes on the four corners of the camp. That was how they were to, to, to travel. Now, this tent configuration models something vital for Israel, and it's vital for the world. We are meant to see the relationship between the camp and the tabernacle, right there in the center. The tabernacle represents the presence of God. That's where God meets with people. That's where the, the Shekinah glory appears, the, the, cl- the cloud of smoke. God is at the center of the camp. He must be at the Israel's life. He's to be at the center of every Israelite's life. He is to be at the center of our lives, us the 21st century people of God. Now, that's something very important, by the way. Um, I'll just read again verse, uh, the, verse 17. The, then the tent of meeting shall set out with the camp of the Levites in the midst of the camps. That's sort of represented by those little tents that are in really, really close. As they camp, so shall they set out, each in position, standard by standard. So inside the, the camps of those 12 tribes, we have the camps of the, of the, uh, the Levites, the, the priests. Now, and we have, we have uh, the tents of those 12 tribes all facing inwards towards the tabernacle. Now, it's very important to notice the way that they're facing. They're not facing to defend God or to sort of uh, counteract any offences against God. Now, God does not need you or me or them to defend him. God will defend himself. Now, we may, we, may, we, we may defend the existence of God. We may defend the historicity of Jesus. We may defend the inerrancy and the authority and the efficacy of Scripture, but you don't need to defend God. I think there's some wonderful words in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5, where the Apostle Paul says, For though we walk flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to Christ. We do not, we should not go around destroying cities or destroying people in God's name. Defend God not to try and expand his kingdom. That is not how we work. Paul says we demolish arguments, contrary arguments. We, we, we demolish lofty opinions, and our world is full of lofty opinions, and 99% of them are wrong. We, we are there to demolish false thoughts about God and his existence, about God's goodness, about the historicity of Jesus. Truth is on our side. We fight with words, words that frame ideas. Um, the Bible is not just a book of words. It's a book of words that describe ideas, and those ideas are the truth about God and his kingdom. That's what we, that's what we defend. They are our, our weapons, just mere words. So the tents 
face the tabernacle to acknowledge the sovereignty of God and their dependence upon him, not his dependence upon us. I, I think of so much grief and bloodshed in the world today caused by people who think that they have to defend God or their gods. Their God gets offended by a bad cartoon, they've got to go and kill someone. That is not the God with whom we are dealing. If God exists, and he does, if God is omnipotent, that is all-powerful, and he is, we don't need to defend God. He defends us. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of death will not overcome it. So there's the camp in the wilderness, all the tents are organized around, around God, all facing the tabernacle, all teaching, all looking inwards. Well, point two, let's look at when Jesus came, uh, came camping with us. Now, the Gospel of John opens with a most remarkable statement about Jesus, claiming that Jesus is no less than God in human form. John calls him the Word, that is, Jesus is God communicating with us. Now, God is communicating with us not just in words, but in the very person of Jesus himself. Jesus is the communication. And then there comes this most remarkable statement of all in John 1.14. And the word of God, that is God the Son, became a man and dwelt among us. Or literally, and the word became a man and he tabernacled or he tented in our midst. So in Jesus, God came on our wilderness camping tour with us. He joined uh, life on earth. I think there's a picture there somewhere of the, the birth of Christ. And so here we are. Christmas is approaching. This is the moment when we celebrate God the Son coming down to earth and tabernacling with us, living in a body on this earth. In the Old Testament era... The tabernacle or the temple was the place where God and men met to do business. The place where the priests offered animal sacrifices to God on behalf of the people to make atonement for their sin. To deflect God's wrath from them and to keep them in fellowship with God. In the New Testament, Jesus is the tabernacle. He is the point at which God and man meet to do business. He is God and he is man, one of us. As God, he life. As man, one of us, he offers his life to the Father on our behalf to atone for our sins and restore us to a right relationship with God. Now, in the Sinai, we need to notice that there's a barrier between the people and God. Something separates them. Now that barrier is the camp I showed you before of the, of the Levites or the priests. They were right in around the tabernacle. The tribes were outside that kind of ring. The Israelites were not to approach God. They were not to approach the tabernacle. God had consecrated his priests and Levites to holy duties and he permitted only them to approach and minister at the tabernacle. They represented the people. But now that Jesus has come, there are no priests between us and God. Jesus, our great high priest, representing us, approached God once for all with his sacrifice himself. And his sacrifice having been accepted by God as, as evidenced by the resurrection, the way to God is open. 
we may now boldly and personally approach God and ask that our sins be forgiven through Christ. And then we enter into eternal fellowship with God. So Jesus has done what no Old Testament priest could do. Old Testament priests had to offer up animal sacrifices day after day. Jesus offered himself once for all. And we can enter fellowship with God and keep in fellowship with God because Jesus came to earth and camped or tabernacled in our midst, becoming one of us. Well, point three, camping with Jesus at the center of our lives. We followers of Jesus today, where where are we on the timeline of salvation history? Well, we have left slavery to sin and wilderness like Israel had left slavery to Egypt. And metaphorically, we are on a journey through the spiritual wilderness of this world. We are on our way to our promised land, heaven, new heavens and the new earth, the home of righteousness. We're not there yet. And the question is, how shall we travel? Who or what is at the center of your life? See, it's, it's probably relatively easy to tell. Who or what is the first thing on your mind in the morning? Who or what is the last thing on your mind at night? Let's think back a bit to the, the camp in the wilderness. When uh, an Israelite man or woman opened the door of the tent in the morning, and they looked out, what would they see? the tabernacle, God in their midst. When they were closing up the tent flap at night time to lock down, what was the last thing they would see? The tabernacle, perhaps with a cloud of smoke above it signaling God's presence. The tabernacle was always there. God was before them uh, morning and night. And so they saw God morning and evening. There is nobody else worthy to be at the center of your life. There is no other world in life view that even comes close to achieving the satisfaction that comes from following the Lord Jesus. There are many, many world and life views out there. There are more than ever, I think. Uh, they're just everywhere. Most of them are just very, very thin. They are devoid of meaning. They are narcissistic. They are self-serving. They are just vacuous. They're empty. But people follow them, and society is saturated with them. Social media, movies, TV, books, they're all out there. People saying, follow me, follow my way to utopia. Hayden, former leader of the ALP, former governor general, most of his life was a celebrated atheist. When it came to becoming governor general, that would have made him... Uh, Governor, Governor's General become the chief scout of Australia. He couldn't, an oath on the Bible. He didn't believe the Bible and so he couldn't become chief scout. I can report that about three years ago, he had a massive change of heart. And when he was asked why world and life view, he said, I couldn't bear the emptiness. He said, my mind were empty, just emptiness without belief. And so he's become a Christian. See, Christianity might just be these days a voice in the wilderness, or so some say, but we are onto something. We are onto something of real substance. We have discovered that Jesus is at the center of everything we see and do. All things are created by him and for him. Therefore, he is at the center. John Anderson, the former leader of the National Party, 
former Deputy Prime Minister. He tells of a shocking crisis of faith in his own life when, as a college student, raised in a Christian home, following Christ, came home on holidays one, one year to his, back to his farm in New South Wales and with his dad playing a game of backyard. He hit a beautiful drive. The only problem was his little there playing. And they cried out to her that the ball was coming her way. She turned her back to save herself and the ball struck her on the back of the head and she died. Anderson was just thrown into devastation. He just didn't know which way was up or down for years. A terrible crisis of faith. How can God be God and God be good if this can happen in my life? It was in university that a lecturer said to him, John, you've got really three choices in your life. You can abandon the faith of your fathers. Yes, you can do that. You can turn back to the faith of your fathers or you can sit on the road. Now, sitting on the road sounds like a bad idea, he reckons. So, and, and abandoning the faith of his fathers, well, what is there when Jesus says, or the, the apostles say to Jesus, where else are we to go when you alone have the words of life? And so Anderson turned back to God. And he says there's not a day that he doesn't think about his sister, but he's devoted his life to serving God and, and remembering her. God was at the centre at the beginning. Go back to the Garden of Eden. God showed Israel that he's, he must be at the centre of their lives if they are to enjoy his presence. Jesus is declared by God to be at the centre and God will be at the centre of all things. God appointed Jesus to the centre. Peter at Pentecost says, This Jesus whom you crucified, God has made him both Lord and Christ. That is, he is the only saviour, the only way back to God, and he rules forever as Lord. And in eternity, every knee shall bow to him, every tongue will confess him as Lord. Some he'll receive as friends. Some he'll banish as rebels. That is the reality. How then should we travel? Should Jesus be someone you pull out of the drawer on Sunday mornings and put him back in the drawer again on Sunday nights? God forbid. Or is uh, Jesus something you take out like life insurance, you know, have him up your sleeve in case something goes wrong or you're on your deathbed? God forbid. We should strive to please Jesus 24-7, to receive daily his warm smile. We're saved by grace, and the evidence is that we have been saved. The evidence is that we want to live a life that pleased day and to bask in Jesus' smile. We must allow him to steer us away from evil and steer us towards good. We must seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He is the rock upon which we must build our lives. Well, last point, and quickly, point four, camping with Jesus forever. The, the centrality of God continues right throughout the Bible. It's a beautiful biblical theology, from, right from Genesis to Revelation. And Revelation 21 there the Apostle John describes the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. The holy city is also strangely called the bride of Christ. So the holy city actually is the people of God, all the redeemed followers of Jesus. And John says this, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. I saw the holy city, 
New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men, like when Jesus came among us. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. So our destiny is to be forever with God in our midst. He, you know, like God was in the midst of Israel in the wilderness, he will be in our midst forever. Describing the city, and bear in mind this is metaphoric, this is illustrative, John says, it had a great high wall with 12 gates. And on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. On the west, three gates. Would you look at that? Exactly the same as back in the the book of Numbers. The arrangement of the camp in the wilderness with God in the center. Furthermore, and the wall of the city has 12 foundations. And on them, the name of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So the 12 sons of Israel represent the Old Testament believers. The 12 apostles are the representing New Testament believers, representing us. Now the picture symbolized here is that God is at the center of us all. So can you see what the Bible is doing? God, in his mercy, is enveloping us in the idea that for life to work as it should... To get the best from life in this fallen world, to enjoy life to the full in eternity, God must be at the center of our personal lives, must be at the center of our church life. God was at the center of Israel's life in the wilderness. Jesus will be at the center of our lives in heaven and and, an anticipation of heaven. He must be at the center of our lives now. Amen. Thank you, Father, that your word pours forth teachings, ideas, Lord God, reality. They call us, Father, to truth, to block our ears to the nonsense of this world, Father, and to attach ourselves to what you're saying. For we know, Lord, that your word works. It brings the best life. It delivers the best things. And so, Father, we repent of those times that we have listened to other voices and followed other things. We believe your word to be true, Father. Thank you that you've spoken to us from your word this day. May we live by what we have heard with you at the center of all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.